0: And now, In the Shadow of Evil, The Seal Strike Series, Book 4, by M.L. Strong. Chapter 1 Dripping The sound echoed in the cold stone room, tedious and never-ending. A steady drip, drip, drip. A life draining away, one tiny drop at a time. There was movement to his right, and the sound of people breathing, calmly observing, waiting for something to happen. A bolt of pain tore through his body when he tried to shift his weight. The strands of cut phone wire connecting him tightly to the dark wooden chair were applied with vicious efficiency. There was no way out. Drip, drip, drip. Thoughts of SEAL training floated across his conscious mind, some mocking his fragile state, others reminding him that nothing was over until it was over. He opened his good eye. The left one was sealed shut and caked in dried blood. The room was dim, and the small light dangling five feet over his head illuminated him alone, casting shadows outside its weak halo. A scrape to his left sent a chill down his spine. How long had it been? An accented voice whispered behind him. An authoritative tone indicated the leadership of this grisly enterprise. He couldn't figure out the language, a dialect of Spanish, perhaps. The boots scraped the floor again to his left and he waited for what he knew was coming. He'd run out of Machu a couple of days after his capture and initial beatings in this hellhole. His body had endured an impossible amount of punishment. Yet his captors wanted him alive and coherent enough to respond to their questions. The same three questions over and over. His head exploded with a shower of sparkling white lights, like a 4th of July display without the color or the fun. They hit him again, then again, He usually tried to count the blows, but not anymore. A deep, guttural voice to his right said something in that strange language and the beating stopped. Who do you work for? The first question was always the same, and he wasn't about to give the bastards the names of his employer, his friend. The silence lasted longer than normal this time. Who is your contact here? He closed his eye and shook his head. Why didn't they understand? He wasn't giving any information to these killers. The interval between the second and last question stretched for an eternity. He heard murmuring behind him and the sound of a door opening and closing. Still the third and final question hung there, unspoken. They were toying with him now. Maybe they didn't care about the answers anymore. He knew and they knew that once he refused to answer the third question, the punishment would begin again. Finally, the deep voice spoke the words. Did you discover who was behind the assassination? A thought pushed forward through the haze of his mind, and he considered it for a moment. Maybe he should give them an answer, a false answer, but one that might extend his life. His friends needed time to discover he was missing and get the local authorities mobilized to find him. It was a long shot, but it might work. Yes, he whispered through the jagged edges of broken teeth, damaged from the first day of his captivity. The murmuring started up again, and he waited for the blow he knew was coming. He waited, and he waited. Yet nothing happened. He was starving, but the real problem was thirst. SEAL survival training had taught him he could go for a month or so without food. Water, only a few days. He heard footsteps on the moist stone floor, then the sound of the heavy door opening and closing. He estimated the time it took to open and shut the door and determined that at least two men had left the stone enclosure. He listened for movement and breathing. A sharp jabbing pain in his right arm caused his right eye to pop open. He stared at the syringe and short needle, then watched as a yellow fluid was slowly injected into his vein. Was this the end? Were they killing him? His heart began to beat rapidly for a few moments, then logic kicked in. They didn't need to kill him with drugs. They could just beat him harder the inevitable would happen, and their problem would be solved. So, if not a quick death, what were they up to? Maybe it was a truth serum. He didn't know much about the technique, other than what he'd observed watching bad movies. But if it worked, then he'd be the reason his friends would die. He prayed silently that it wouldn't work. The door opened and closed again, quicker this time, so likely one person had left the room. At the same time, the dim light bulb swing gently above his head, winked out, plunging the room into total darkness. He slowly felt the onset of sleep. Was it going to be death or sleep? Of course it didn't matter. He had zero control over the outcome. The drug did its work. Within minutes he was asleep, slumped over in the old chair. The light sound of drip, drip, drip bounced off the stone walls. Nobody was listening. Outside, the three men smoked and took in the fresh air of the Irish countryside. Behind them was the access door to the stone crypt, built two hundred years earlier to protect the priests of the ancient church that loomed over the three of them. The crypt was an eye. It hid the location of the priest's subterranean secure room, a handy thing to have during the reign of English terror in Ireland. Their clothes smelled like a nasty cocktail made up of blood, urine, and feces, and the fresh country air wasn't helping to damper the rude bouquet. Itzel needed space to think things through. He decided to take a short stroll through the nearby gravestones. Patrick, I'm taking a walk. You and Donnie stay here. Sure thing, boss? Patrick nodded. The big Irishman was unknown, as was his sidekick, Donnie. He didn't like the Basque asshole giving the orders, but his leader seemed to think helping this guy was important. Patrick attempted a thin smile and waved as the tall Basque turned and walked away. Itzel paused at each chipped and well-worn stone, reading what was left to the forgotten names. The dates spanned hundreds of years. Here lie heroes, thieves, widows, orphans, and every form of humanity, save royalty. They were buried in splendor, kept in vaults inside the larger cathedrals. They all lived, and they all died. The reality check sobered him. Life truly was too short to waste on trivial things. That's why he'd embraced living fully and extravagantly. You never knew when the ride was going to stop. Itzel moved to the next row of markers and stopped at one, more impressive than the others. He was certain the people buried around him were surprised when the final moment came. Had they wasted the few years God gave them? Live life as it comes, was his mantra. Seize the pleasures it affords in abundance. There's always time later for work or, in the end, lying in the cold ground. Itzel swept his long, black hair out of his eyes as he maneuvered through the mottled gray and green-colored headstones toward the old church. He angled back to where an archway defined the formal entrance to the cemetery. His older brother was more dedicated to the cause. He rarely took time to enjoy life and saw Itzel's extravagance as wasteful, a sign of immaturity. His brother was a leader and accepted the limitations associated with being a figurehead. Itzel, on the other hand, was a free spirit, He took on a few jobs here and there, but he wasn't a committed revolutionary. This project was an exception. He'd already lost 20 days of his life searching for and then finding the American, and then another two days watching the torture. It had to end today. He had plans. He was satisfied their work wouldn't be discovered. The church was a tourist site now, unused for decades. The impromptu torture chamber was created by the old Irish priests hundreds of years earlier who cleverly located their safe haven in plain sight. It'll turned back to look at the stone crypt, positioned near the edge of the ancient cemetery. It had an exterior wrought iron door that appeared to have been replaced several times over the centuries. The fragile lock had been easy to defeat, a device more for show than a real deterrent to entry. Patrick had stumbled upon the find while in the local pub, drinking and gathering information. The locals were more than willing to tell a fellow citizen of the Emerald Isle about the trials and tribulations of their local ancestors during the bad old days of English oppression, including the story of the hidden chamber in the church graveyard. Beyond the door to the crypt there was a space just large enough to hold a coffin. A secret trap door was hidden under a slab of square-cut stone in the back right corner of the floor. Lift the stone away, and a set of stairs was revealed, leading down to an arched door made of thick oak banded across in three places with black iron straps. The lock had been replaced and a simple hasp added. A modern key lock was all that protected entry into a small underground room, a room now occupied by a man who presented Itzel with a dilemma. What would his big brother do in this situation? What would he say about the mess Itzel was in, that the entire organization may be in, all because of this, this American? His brother would want results. He would be furious if Itzel failed in this matter, and Itzel was determined to avoid that failure at any cost. He heard Boots crunching on the small stones scattered all around the cemetery. He turned and waited. Patrick weaved in and out, easing past the algae-covered headstones, crossing himself frequently. He finished his deft maneuvers, finally arriving next to Itzel. Yes, the tall Basque was happy to have help, but the Irish were moody, even more than Basques, if that were possible, Patrick needed constant attention or he would get pouty. Itzel much preferred Donnie, who was quiet, reserved. Donnie was likely a hitman. Itzel wondered why they'd sent him to help. Patrick cleared his throat before speaking. Look, Itzel, uh, the American finally answered a question. It's the first time he's answered any of our fucking questions. Donnie and I have been talking. We can't hang out here forever. The locals will start getting curious. First a bike will ride by, then a car, then the visit. It's the Irish way. Why do we stop when we're starting to get somewhere? Itzel nodded in agreement, then took one last slow drag on a cigarette before tossing the butt aside. He took his time blowing the smoke out through pursed lips. I needed time to think. The sedative will only last an hour. He looked at his watch, an expensive timepiece made in Milan, Italy. He admired the face and sighed. He would much rather be entertaining a young lady in Paris or Copenhagen than be here, trying to prevent a disaster. Patrick, we have 17 more minutes. Then we go in and ask the questions again, if he's fucking with us. Patrick smiled. I know you're paranoid, but for all we know, this guy's a lone wolf. Maybe he didn't tell anyone anything about the operation or about us. If he's freelancing, we should go in and kill him. Got to the problem right here, right now. The stiff Irish wind swirled and rolled across the hills and meadows, whipping the trees around above their heads. Itzel had been informed that Ireland was beautiful, maybe on a postcard, but the images of quaint cottages, sunlit countryside, and happy people were a ruse. A photograph printed on cardboard didn't tell you about the near-constant rain and wind, the chill that entered your bones on arrival and remained there until you left. Then there were the Irish themselves, all smiles and hellos to your face, while behind your back they griped and groaned about the intolerable strangers in their midst, overcharging, under-delivering, and hating every tourist despoiling their sacred land. Itzel pondered Patrick's lone wolf theory. It might explain why their captive had refused to speak. If the American truly knew nothing, he would have nothing to tell. But why endure torture for two days? It bothered Itzel that they still didn't know anything about the man's background. He wasn't British, so not MI6 or Scotland Yard. Their sources were sure of that. He also wasn't European, so probably not Interpol. Was he CIA, FBI? That would imply a wider institutional investigation, backup, and even space based surveillance capabilities. Itzel looked up at the low clouds, a constant backdrop in this dreary place. The American government would not leave one of their agents to fend for themselves like this that pointed to a different motivation. Perhaps the stubborn American had a personal reason for sticking his nose into the assassination. Was he family? An old friend? Or was he hired by someone close to the family? Each of these possibilities could explain his maverick status. A man operating alone with limited resources, zero backup, making it up as he went along. It made sense, but Itzel was still curious. If the man wasn't a law enforcement official or military intelligence operative. Why was he able to survive electrocution, losing five fingers, an untold number of blows to the head, and a knife wound in the belly that was slowly bleeding him to death? Itzel's instincts told him the American was trained to deal with the torture, but logic also allowed for the possibility that the American was one tough son of a bitch, and nothing more complicated than that. He took a deep breath and looked at Patrick. He'd made his decision. We'll go back in and push hard. If he starts talking, we'll back off and listen but if he's playing games, this will end quickly. I have other things to do. Patrick nodded and flashed a toothy grin. He spun around and quickly made his way back to Donnie to share the news. Itzel checked his watch again. Twelve minutes to go. Twelve minutes and then hopefully success. He meandered back to the crypt entrance, choosing a different path, swinging wide right so he could continue reading the old headstones. A few minutes later, Itzel arrived at the entrance to the crypt and, with a nod, entered the chamber. The two Irish thugs scrambled to join him as Itzel passed through the first room and negotiated the narrow stairs in the corner down to the entrance to the stone room. Itzel opened the heavy wrought iron door, the iron hinges groaning as they grudgingly performed their function. He waited until the two men entered, then turned on the light and closed the door behind him. Itzel, Patrick, and Donnie assumed their regular positions around the chair. Itzel stood behind the American, with the other two on the left and right of the chair. Itzel nodded, and Donnie stepped forward and slapped their prisoner hard across the face, a blow that sent spittle and blood flying across the room. The American's twice-broken nose began to bleed profusely as the American shook his head, trying to wake up. The American opened his good eye and felt the pain. His nose was so clogged with dried blood he couldn't breathe. So he opened his mouth and allowed the fresh flow of blood to trickle down and onto his tongue as he gulped in air. Had he imagined his tormentor's departure? Maybe he was losing his mind. That thought gave him some comfort. A crazy person might speak, but would the words have any value? He didn't care anymore. With every passing minute and every drop of blood dripping from his body, he was dying. The end was near, and the method of his death was irrelevant. A deep voice barked a question. You said yes. Would you care to elaborate? Who was behind the assassination? You've been brave, but every man has his limits. If you tell us what we want to know, then we will go easy on you, bring food, clean you up. A vague plan of action danced on the edges of his sanity, and he struggled to remember. Then he did. A ruse. His feeble response had been an attempt to gain more time. Stalling wasn't going to work. He knew that now. He wouldn't die of thirst or hunger. He would either be killed to save time or allowed to bleed out. He'd lost any sense of time, but he knew the weakness he felt wasn't hunger or even thirst. It was the steady loss of blood, one drip at a time. Now the question was how to exit this world, slow or fast. He heard murmurings from his right side, and then a pair of legs suddenly appeared, stepping into the ring of pale yellow light. Nice shoes, he thought. European made and expensive. The man stepped closer until he was fully exposed in the illuminated area around the chair. His arms were crossed. The American made his decision. Better to go out like a warrior, teams and shit. Fuck you, he whispered. Fuck all of you. Itzel was close enough to hear the whispered words uttered by the American sitting in front of him. He sighed. It had been a bluff. This tough American wasn't going to help them they'd been wasting precious time. He checked his watch and noted the time. Then he reached under his long black coat and pulled out a razor-sharp Tanto-style knife. Reminiscent of the katana swords used by the ancient Japanese samurai, the shiny steel knife was eight inches long and deadly. Itzel was tempted to ask the man's name one more time, but thought better of it. It was time to move on to the next task on his long list. His brother didn't like dead ends. He'd be pissed, But after the anger, he'd understand. Itzel and his brother had a special bond. His brother wouldn't stay angry for long. The strike was blindingly quick. A long, thin red line appeared under the American's chin, and the weight of his head pulled the skin open, allowing a torrent of blood to bathe the American's chest. Itzel wiped the tanto clean on the American's pants and stepped back as he returned the knife to its sheath. Patrick, when he's dead, I want his head and fingertips removed. I want them placed in one of the graves outside. Put the torso in a separate grave on the opposite end of the cemetery. Wait until it's dark and do a good job repairing the ground so it doesn't attract attention. I'm leaving for Berlin. I'll tell your leadership you were a great help. Any questions? The two men shook their heads and watched as Itzel left the stone room. A minute later, the American died.